The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. I would invite you to open your Bibles to the New Testament, the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. And we'll be reading from that scripture in a few minutes. The message today is, I am the door. I'd like to start out, if you don't mind, with a little story and a confession of something that happened to me that really tends to open my eyes to this message today. As we all know, Nathan Flickinger went away to college this year, and it was told to me that his father, Jason, needed some help. Well, I was volunteered by a good friend of mine to maybe fill that position. And uh, I feel like Jason was scraping the bottom of the barrel, but I agreed that I would come to work for him. Now you need, must understand that being a city boy, I don't have a whole lot of experience with this sort of thing, but Jason took a chance on me. So one night we were all somewhere out in the country and Jason was opening up a cornfield. And uh, my job was to uh, drive the tractor and the grain cart and to come wherever he called me to uh, so he could unload the combine into the cart and then I would take it either to the bin or to the semi or, or whatever. So one night, and as you know, it gets dark really early this time of year. So one night he's opening up this cornfield and uh, it's dark and uh, I get a little disoriented after dark and uh, I got impatient and instead of waiting for him to call me to where he was at, I decided I would just go. And so I went, he, he had gone down through the middle of this field. And I went down through the middle of the field and I came to the end of the field. I could go left, I could go right. He had opened up both sides. And so uh, with my luck, usually 50-50 chance always goes the wrong way. So I turn right. And I get in down to the other end of the, of the fence line there and I'm stuck. There's no way to go. So immediately, instead of stopping and thinking about what I was doing, I kind of go in, back up, and now I'm really stuck. Jason, I call Jason and I said, uh, I'm stuck. He says, well, just back up the way you came in. You know, Jason, that's, that's kind of how he says things. And I said, well, it's a little too late for that, okay? <laughs> I was kind of stuck sideways. So anyway, it brought to my mind what our lives are like without Jesus Christ. Uh, I knew I was preparing this message, and so, like I said, it brought to my mind of what our lives would be like without Christ. So here I am in the dark, stuck, with nowhere to go, and no door to get through. And so today, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the door that Jesus Christ is and provides for us for our faith and belief in him. So again, the message today is, I am the door. Redemption. How would you define the word redemption as it relates to the Bible? I am reading a book called The Epic of Eden, which was written to help us to understand the themes and history of the Old Testament. The following comes from this book. God, or as he was called by the Hebrews in the Old Testament, Yahweh, chose this word redemption to describe his relationship with his people. 
Israel was set up as a tribal society with the head of the house called a patriarch, who, whenever a family member who had been driven into poverty for whatever reason, or seized by an enemy, or found themselves enslaved by their own unfaithfulness, would put up his own resources to redeem that person, or in other words, restore that person to a place of security within the family circle. This was the patriarch's responsibility and was a safety net for the people in Israel's society. In scripture, Yahweh is presenting himself as the patriarch of the clan who has announced his intent to redeem his lost family members. Not only has he agreed to pay whatever ransom is required, but also he sent the most cherished member of his household to accomplish his intent, his firstborn son. And not only is the firstborn coming to seek and save the lost, but he is coming to share his inheritance with those who have squandered everything they have been given. His goal, to restore the lost family member back to the house of the father so that where he is, you will be also. This is why we speak of each other as brother and sister, why we know God as father, why we call ourselves a household of faith. Now, God is beyond human gender, but the tale of redemptive history is Father God buying back his lost children by sending his son to, as Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 says, give his life as a ransom for the many, so that we, the alienated, might be adopted as sons and daughters and share in the inheritance of the firstborn of all creation. Earlier this year, in filling in for Pastor Zach, I started a series of messages, and they're called the seven I am statements of Jesus from the Gospel of John. The first was, I am the bread of life. The second was, I am the light of the world. And now the third is, I am the door. These I am statements of Jesus are his own definition of who he is and the work that he came to do, namely the redemption of God's people. When in the Old Testament, God told Moses to go to lead his people out of Egypt, Moses said, who should I tell the people has sent me? And God said, tell the people that I am has sent you. Or in other words, that Yahweh, God himself, has sent you. So when Jesus says I am, he is equating himself with God. Now this absolutely enrages the religious leaders of Israel. They are so blinded by their love of the law and self-importance that they are unable to see the one that Moses told them about in scripture, though he was standing right in front of them. Now the Bible often uses metaphors to make difficult ideas or concepts more understandable. For instance, when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, he who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst, we can see that Jesus is comparing himself to bread. The bread of life is a symbolic idea that Jesus offers eternal fulfillment. Like bread sustains us physically, Jesus will sustain us spiritually. And when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Light refers to salvation and eternity with God. And darkness refers to sinfulness, which leads to eternal separation from God. Now today's message is no different in that Jesus is using a metaphor to paint a picture of a shepherd and his sheep. 
The Old Testament and into the New Testament, the people of God are referred to as sheep and the leaders of Israel as shepherds. Now, there were many good shepherds in the Old Testament. King David was referred to as a shepherd king, and Abraham, Jacob, Moses, and the prophet Amos were all shepherds. But we also find that for the most part, God was very unhappy with the shepherds of the Bible. And he had this to say in Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 through 24. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves, should not the shepherds be feeding the sheep? My sheep have been scattered over the face of the earth with none to look for them. Then God goes on to say that he himself will be the shepherd of the flock, that he will gather them from the far countries, that he will feed them and protect them, that he himself will lead them to good pasture and a place of safety. That time has now come. The true shepherd of Israel has come in the person of Jesus Christ to gather his flock and restore them back into the sheepfold of God. Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy in Ezekiel. From our scripture reading today, you can see that not only does Jesus tell us that he is the door, but also we hear him say, I am the good shepherd. It is important that we distinguish these two statements from one another, even though they are equally important and interrelated, but they do not mean the same thing. I am the good shepherd is the next message. Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, and it's entitled, I am the good shepherd. Hear now the word of God. Again, if you'd like to follow along, it's John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Hear now the word of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all, all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. May these words write their truth upon our hearts. Jesus starts out talking about how anyone that tries to enter the sheepfold in any way other than the door is a thief or a robber, meaning a false shepherd. A true shepherd of the sheep enters the sheepfold by the door, and the gatekeeper knows the shepherd 
and opens the gate and the shepherd leads his sheep into the sheepfold at night for their protection and out to good pasture in the morning. Now the sheep know the voice of the shepherd and follow where he leads. Now there were two kinds of sheepfolds in this time period. One would be built out in the pastures away from town. Normally it was nothing more than a wooden enclosure or a circle of stones that the shepherds would lead their flocks to at night and then the shepherd would lay across the entrance as a way of keeping the sheep in and the predators out. He becoming, the shepherd himself would become the door of the sheepfold. Then there were in towns more permanent type structures, usually built of stone with briars around the top with sharp thorns. And that would keep out the predators and thieves. These structures would be big enough to hold several flocks at once and would have a gatekeeper to keep watch over the sheep at night. When the shepherd came in the morning, the gatekeeper would open up the gate and the shepherd will call out his sheep by name and lead them out. Now Jesus makes very, very clear that his sheep know his voice and will follow wherever he leads, but a stranger they will not follow. Verse six says that this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. Now, who is Jesus talking to? We'll find out that he's talking uh, about the Pharisees. But we need to turn back a few verses to see that. Many times when we read scripture, we start in a new chapter, and we think that what we are reading is an isolated topic. But we need to remember that when the Bible was written, there were no chapters or numbered verses, just one continuous book. Chapters and verses were added over time and were completed around the 16th century and that they were added for our convenience. It does make teaching and studying easier for us. But here is an example of needing to go back to the previous chapter to put into context what Jesus is talking about. During the first century, the failure of the shepherds of the Jews continued. The crowds that Jesus encountered were as Matthew chapter 9 verse 36 inform us, like sheep without a shepherd. Now we look back to chapter 9, we see a clear example of the failure of the shepherds, in this case the Pharisees, that God had called to lead his people. If you can recall, when we were talking about Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, one of the contexts of that statement was Jesus healing the man who was born blind, so that he was able to see light for the first time. Now instead of the Pharisees being happy that the blind man was healed, they were so furious at the testimony that he gave about Jesus that they excommunicated him from the synagogue. If anyone should have recognized Jesus, it was the Pharisees, for they were experts in God's law. They spent their entire lives studying the teachings of Moses, who clearly said in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 18 and 19, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them what I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So what we are seeing here is not only are they denying Christ, but they are seeking to silence those who do affirm him. These false shepherds insist in trusting in themselves and do not display an attitude of worshipful submission, as did the man healed by Jesus. Chapter 9 ends with the Pharisees asking Jesus, Are we also blind? And he answers, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, 
your guilt remains. In John chapter 15, verse 22, Jesus is speaking and he says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Their failure forms the backdrop of Jesus' I am the door of the sheep and I am the good shepherd statements. He is in chapter 10 saying to these so-called shepherds of the people, have you no concern for your people? Have you only concern for yourselves? Here in chapter 10, Jesus is saying that God has a sheepfold, that God has a sanctuary, a place of everlasting peace, a place of safety for his people, and that place has a door. He is speaking of heaven, the kingdom of God. He is speaking, he is speaking of the presence of God. Looking back to our text, what does Jesus say? Verse 7, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So the focus now has become the door, specifically the door of the sheepfold. And as we talked about earlier, a sheepfold only has one door. When Jesus says, I am the door, the word we need to look at is the, meaning one door, not many doors. The only way into the kingdom of God is through him. There simply is no other way into God's kingdom. Verses 9 and 10, Jesus says, Anyone who enters by me will be saved and have abundant life. On preparing this message, I searched for a way to explain this last statement, will be saved and have abundant life. I think we only have to look back in this Gospel of John to one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. I know it's very familiar to all of you, and you'll probably say it right along with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Faith in Christ is the only way to enter through this door. And this faith is full personal trust in him and his substitutionary atonement. These sheep receive freedom from guilt, the misery, and the punishment of sin, and receive the love of God in their hearts, along with the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. John Calvin comments that Christ is the medium through which the fullness of celestial blessings flow down to us, and through which we in turn ascend to God. To give us a little better understanding of Jesus saying, I am the door, turn back in your Bibles, if you will, or just follow along, to John chapter 1, verse 51. Here we find Jesus calling the disciple Nathanael, and he says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Of course, Jesus' words are taken from Genesis chapter 28, the story of Jacob's ladder, which I will talk about in a minute. But first, I'd like to contrast that story with the, with the story of Babel, the Tower of Babel, from Genesis chapter 11. Now, many of you will know the story of the Tower of Babel. <clears throat> and I would encourage you that at some point in time, you might read and study this uh, this account in Genesis. So this is where we find mankind are in total uh, disobedience 
of what God has told them to do. Now he has commanded them after the flood to spread out upon the earth. But instead, they settle in one place and build a great city. And then they say to one another, let us make a name for ourselves. Meaning, why should God receive all the glory? We will build a tower, or in this case, a stairway into heaven. We can reach up to God, but only on our own terms. We can see that, God, that man's heart after the flood is just as deceitful as it was before the flood and carries on until this day. We still gather together in cities and we build monuments to ourselves. Now this in turn causes God to come down and pass judgment upon the people. He confused their language and scattered them over the face of the earth. Now just a side note here. Did God need to come down and see the city and the tower? Of course not. But we do see in several places in Genesis divine investigation before judgment is passed. Divine judgment is always according to the truth. The other story is the story of Jacob's ladder in Genesis chapter 28. And many of you know that story. But if you'll remember, Jacob was a very conniving, deceitful man. He stole his brother's birthright by trickery and lying to his father Isaac. But he was now fleeing for his life when he stops for the night. Now after placing a stone under his head, he goes to sleep and he has a dream. And in this dream, he sees heaven opened up and a stairway coming down to earth with angels ascending and descending upon it. And he sees the Lord standing above the stairway who says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. It's very important here that we see that there is absolutely no indication that Jacob was searching for God. The story of Babel reveals our inability to reach God. Just like the Pharisees, most people believe that they have the ability to save themselves and they are blind to the truth of the gospel. The story of Bethel reveals that God is reaching down to us. Jesus is presenting himself to Nathanael as the reality of that dream. When Nathanael met Christ, it changed him forever, just as Jacob's life changed forever after meeting God. When Jesus says, I am the door, he is showing us that he is the one that bridges the gap between God and man. We can never reach God. We can never please God. We will never see God apart from Jesus Christ, for he is the door that leads to salvation. We must always remember that it was the Messiah that purchased our redemption and our restoration back into God's family with his blood. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we just praise you and thank you that by your grace, you would choose us, a people that never seeks for you, never seeks to know you. And we thank you, Lord, that by your mercy, you have chosen us and given us life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.